Hi, and welcome to Drinking with Creatives, the weird uncle at the Christmas party that is your cell phone. My name is Jeremy Berger, a filmmaker and senior editor, and each week I chat with a professional creative and we have a few drinks. Happy Halloween. Today I had the pleasure of speaking with Eileen Hollis. Eileen is a funeral director at the Hollis Funeral Home in Syracuse, New York. At the beginning of the pandemic, Eileen started making TikTok videos, answering some of people's most relevant questions about, well, death. And she's been very successful at it, garnering over 700,000 followers and 11 million likes. Eileen has been destigmatizing the conversations about death in an industry that is seeing change in the wake of social media. Let's go. First question, most important question, what are you drinking? I am drinking a hot apple cider um, out of my Syracuse mug um, with a shot of Patty's whiskey in it. What kind of whiskey is that? Um, Irish whiskey. Oh, fantastic. Okay. It's delicious. So before you possibly move on to your second, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking a homemade IPA right now. And uh, one of the things I like to do is before we get too far into it, because drinks are being imbibed, would you please tell everybody who you are, what you do, and where we can find you? Yes, my name's Eileen Hollis. I'm a licensed funeral director and embalmer in Syracuse, New York. I care for the dead and their families. And you have also been called in some pub publications the TikTok mortician. Yeah, that's like the TikTok morticians um, are taking over. So it's more like a generalized like term for all of us. Um, and there, there's a bunch of us. So and that, has that been something that's been uh, new, this, this kind of uh, push to answer people's questions about death um, amongst morticianers? First of all, is that the correct word, morticianer? Am I getting that right? No? Yeah, mortician, uh, funeral director. I think a lot of the younger generation likes the term mortician. Um, mm -hmm. The older generation, I feel like they prefer the term funeral director. Um, funeral director, mortician, undertaker, grim reaper. It's kind of like we all do sort of the same things. Um, funeral directors though, it's, I, my definition of it is that they do like, they can do it all. Um, mm. Morticians I feel are just like more behind the scenes, strictly dealing um, with the deceased people. Um, and I think that, you know, funeral directors they can make arrangements they can um also prepare the bodies they can make the stationery um they just do it all but i but really you can call us whatever you want it all means the same to me <laughs> and now this is a family <laughs> business for you how many generations has your family been in the business it was just my dad um and i'm and now me so you started like making these videos, uh, uh, you know, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic and yeah. uh, now you're part of this community and please define this if you can, uh, the hashtag death talk. Yeah, um, it's kind of just like there's different universes in TikTok. Uh, you have like clean talk where people um, share their cleaning tips and things like that. Um, you have like horror talk where, you know, people would, you know, talk about horror movies and stuff. And then there's death talk, talk for the death care workers. Um, so yeah, it's just, just a hashtag, just a different universe that you can unlock in the TikTok world. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm curious because, you know, you got all these people asking you these questions, uh, yeah. uh, endless questions. Like what has been the like single question you find that you're asked the most? What are the, what, what's the thing people are the most curious about when it oh, comes to, oh, go ahead. Easy. How do I get my foot in the door? How do I get into this profession? Everyone wants to, they don't know where to start and they're looking for advice um, about how to even get started in um in the mortuary field 
Um, so I, that is definitely like the number one question. And the, the second question is, do you ever have any paranormal experiences or um, can you feel like the presence of anyone um, when you're working? Oh, so it goes from the super practical to the super supernatural, just like yeah. that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, is, there, is there like a question that you never get asked, but you kind of wish people would or something that you wish people were more curious about or more oh, when it comes to? I feel like at this point, um, I get asked like so many questions about funeral directing that it I can't even I can't even think because there's just I think right now I have let's let us look and see how many questions there are oh God. um it there are 456 questions that I'm trying to answer currently and um there's just it's just everything um I wish that people would ask me more about like, like, what do you do on your time off? Like, you know, like things like, how do I decompress? And like, how do I like stay so happy, I guess? Okay. So yeah. I've got a question for you, Eileen. Yeah. How do you yeah. stay so happy? I think that I owe it all to my husband <laughs> he when I come home from work um he is the person where I'm like oh okay like I just feel totally at ease totally calm I can just be myself like you know because when you're working in funeral service you have to be um the most like poised version of yourself I guess Mm -hmm. um, for the sake of the family and everyone and, you know, keeping your, keeping your brain and everyone's brains organized during grief. So, um, yeah, it's my husband and it's like a bunch of, you know, outside things like, uh, getting to see my friends that was really hard over the pandemic I really couldn't see them um, definitely gave me like moments of depression and stuff just because I couldn't like you know drink with them and um, invent with them and yeah so definitely friends um, my husband like going roller skating. Um, I bedazzled this mask. <laughs> I'm going to be the Grim Reaper for Halloween. Oh my God. So it's completely covered in Swarovski crystals. So is my sickle. That's wow. Wow. Yeah. I like to do like I like to go um, do crazy parades and stuff. Like um, I always go to the mermaid parade in Coney Island. And this brings up an interesting, uh, uh, at least perspective for me, because I've, uh, I've uh, been wondering what aspect of the business do you find the most um, emotionally burdensome? Um... Because I feel like when people ask you these questions, they might think it's one thing, but it's actually the other. It's like right? so many, it's a lot of different things. Um, I feel like sometimes people just expect me to just, you know, expect funeral directors to not have a personality, um, to just be crying at every death that comes through um, the funeral home. So, um, my happiness kind of seems like a, a burden. Like I shouldn't be happy sometimes, but that's, I, I am just happy. So it, it's, you know, it's not like not every death is so personal to me. Like, obviously if a, um, if a friend or our family or a really tough case, like a two-year-old I had to embalm, um, oh. those are heavy, heavy, things for me but uh for the most part um I 
can deal with all of those, um, all of those things. The biggest burden though, is the fact that I'm going to be taking over this business. Um, I've never ever dreamed of being a business person and, um, and the idea is very daunting and like overwhelming and terribly scary. And I can have full blown panic attacks while watching Great British Bake Off. Um, I'll just like zone out into the cake and being like, oh my God, you're not good enough. Oh my God, like you're gonna, this is such a crazy thing to take on. Like, um, so it can, the, the idea of um, transferring over the business into my name and everything that comes along with that. Um, and I, I mean, like, I'm going to probably be in this business for a very long time. My dad pretty much started out when I did, and he's now 71. Um, and he's still working. So like just the extended period of time and like in the time that I know um, I'm not going to have him. That's very, very scary to me. And it's a huge burden that I carry. Like, it's like, um, it's like Frodo in the one ring in a way. So. <laughs> that's incredible to me. That's, that's a lot. And I, I'm, I'm curious because you brought up a subject a little bit ago about the idea that people observe about you being a happy person, even in the midst of death or grieving uh, around people yeah. around you. I'm wondering because you do also make these TikTok videos, which aren't necessarily answering people's questions about death. You also do these TikTok videos about like dyeing your hair. And uh, I'm sure your Halloween costume is going to be making a, an appearance in one of them soon. And yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm wondering uh, what's been the reaction from your professional peers or community? Uh, wh how have they taken to, shall we say, the levity you've been bringing to death? For the most part, it's been it's been extremely positive from like just the random people in the universe and from the funeral industry or the funeral profession. Everyone has been pretty respectful. Um, so I'm appreciative of that. I know there are people that would prefer that I keep this information um, on the down low. Uh, some people wish that I would, very few people express this, but there has been some people that are like, I wish you would make this private. Um, funeral directors tell me that. And I, and then I just am like, but why? Like, if you have to hide um, your profession, then maybe that means it needs to be changed. Like, what are we ashamed of? Um, I just want I don't want to tell people what to do. I just want them to be better um, funeral directors. I want people to genuinely care about these grieving families. And I don't want them to, I don't want them to lead them in the wrong direction. Um, I want the consumers um, to be smart. Uh, and that's the whole reason why I'm on TikTok uh, is to educate and then uh, give people some peace of mind. And it, it seems like for the most part, I've done that for a lot of people and that feels really good. Um, and I have to remember those moments when, uh, when those professional peers come out and, you know, say I'm a disgrace to the profession or whatever but for the most part it's been like incredibly like mind-blowingly positive I'm really grateful so you got like 99% completely on board 1% actually uses the word disgraceful yeah wow yeah yeah I, but I, 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 I can't remember the last time I used that word good lord yeah I know <laughs> mm. so Furthermore, I'm just, I am curious because you, you uh, grew up inside the funeral home that your father started. Um, and then I believe I was reading that you actually uh, pursued uh, college in a dance degree. Yes, I have a BFA in dance from um, the college at Brockport. Fantastic. What yeah. kind of brought you back into the fold? 
into um, funeral directing? Yes. Um, well, I graduated from Brockport with the BFA. I went to New York City for a couple of years um, to pursue dancing, um, but I was working so much that I didn't really, I had like rehearsals and stuff, but never the motivation to go out and like audition for Broadway and stuff like that. So the fact that I wasn't doing that was a huge red flag for me. Like maybe this is unfortunately like not what you're supposed to be doing. And I was, I'm fine with that. Um, I am pretty realistic about things. So um, I was dating my now husband um, and we were long distance for two years. So I ended up moving back to Syracuse, um, working at an after school program. This is a long, this is a semi long story. Go for it, go for it. <laughs> I was working in an after school program in the Syracuse City School District teaching dance. Mm -hmm. um, and then when they went on holiday break, uh, you know, we were, I was out of work for like a month. So I figured, okay, well, I can't apply anywhere. Like, who's going to take me for a month? Um, let me see if my dad will let me shadow him. And I, the only thing I knew about funeral directing, um, was that I grew up in a funeral home pretty much. Um, but when I started shadowing my dad, it just felt so natural to me. And like, you know, he told me some, some stories about how he bought the funeral home back from this corporation um, called SCI and national cremation and um just hearing the stories about how he was disrespected and he lost so much business um people didn't even know like if he was open anymore and stuff like that like all of that uh solidified my decision that like yeah I think I want to get into this um, into this profession and like carry on his legacy because I really had a moment where I was just like I can't imagine leaving that Victorian house and you know selling it to someone and seeing it crumble and how awful I would feel so I kind of was just like I think I, I want to do this and I was nervous to start school but um, I took a leap of faith really so okay i so funny that you brought that up because i read something um that you had said about that that you were nervous to go to mortuary school because it was a lifetime commitment yeah i'm curious about that because my literary brain turned that into almost a pun and i was like is she just making is she just like mocking the journalist right now because that's kind of awesome or am i <laughs> wrong about that like you know, I go into mortuary services because it's a lifetime commitment. That's 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 objectively funny on every level yeah. you can have it. But it's what am I just, missing there? It was just terrifying to me. I mean, like that's a huge decision to make, like in a couple of weeks, like a snap decision. Like I had just left the world of dance, and like I really hate saying that because I still feel so connected to it. But um. It, I, it was very scary for me just to be like, oh yeah, well now I'm going to go to mortuary school and do this for my entire life. Like me going to mortuary school was basically me deciding like, yes, I'm going to take over this business. Yes. I'm going to be locked into this life forever. Yes. I'm probably never going to go on vacation again. Like, you know, like all of that stuff. Um, yeah lifelong commitment um mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a lot wow. of sacrifices yeah you mentioned uh uh never take a vacation again is that a thing um it is if you're a small funeral home such as ours um like i we never really like went to disney world we didn't go on like week-long trips or two week-long trips um, when I studied abroad in the UK, when I was going to school at Brockport, um, 
my mom and my sister came to visit me, but my dad stayed home and he worked, um, you know, incredible opportunity for him, you know, to get out and, and let me show him around, but um, the business needed to be looked after. And it's because if we want to leave, we have to pay people that we trust that know our business. Um, so sometimes it's like, is it worth it to pay like thousands of dollars for these people and pay for the vacation or what? And um, so I... When I take over, I do plan on um, taking a vacation. I mean, I I just have to, but um, thankfully there are like a couple people that we work with that I'm like, okay, I totally trust you. They're around my age. Um, hopefully they should be around for a while. Um, and I I would trust them with the funeral home. Um, so my family and I could like, you know, get some time away. Cause it's hard. You're just always there. Um, I will say once I started working with my dad, he started leaving me alone, um, on the weekends to like go visit my sister in Brooklyn. And, you know, even if it was just for like a couple of days, uh, it's cool that I can just let, you know, give him that opportunity to go just like unwind for a little bit. So I'm happy I can do that for him. And then he, you know, I like went away to Vermont last weekend um, and that was wonderful. So we, we give each other um, like weekend excursions and stuff. And how long had he not had that prior um, to you coming into the business and being a trusted cohort as you will? I honestly do not even know. Like, I know my dad has done like weekend trips and stuff, like, but we, we just, I don't know the last time us as a family went somewhere for like a week to like the Bahamas or wherever, you know? Mm -hmm. So that, that's a big thing with funeral directing. If you like vacations, um, maybe don't be a funeral director <laughs> or freedom of time. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. So um, was there like a single moment that you said, I, I want to do this for the rest of my life? Was there a single moment like, because you mentioned that like, and this was something I did not know that there was such a short span of time from you saying, uh, I'm sorry, dance, I have to move on and then accepting your tenure as a funeral director. Was there a single moment where you just kind of said like, yeah, I want to give this a try and I need to give it everything? Yeah. Um, pretty much like, signing up for school that's when I was like okay this is happening um but there are moments in at services and stuff that will just hit me like a sack of bricks um where I'm like wow like I genuinely enjoy doing this for families and it keeps me on my toes and Every day is different and it's kind of exciting in a way. So I really, I truly can't see myself doing anything else. Um, I have the best boss, my dad, and then, you know, someday I'll be my own boss, which is really scary, but I know that I'll do a phenomenal job. Phenomenal. <laughs> I, so. I think so. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. So, and, and I asked this question uh, from a certain amount of uh, ignorance about what you can and cannot say, but can you give me an example of one of the, with obviously as many details as admitted as is possible, given the privacy uh, necessary for your position, but can you tell us about one of the times you got, quote unquote, smacked in the face uh, by the services or something that was just that, that, that feeling of reward that you got? Just like, well, okay, so like, we had a two-year-old pass away um, from natural causes. Uh, they had a lot of pre-existing conditions. So um, terribly, terribly, terribly sad. And, um, you know, I embalmed them, a, a two-year-old, and it was really surreal, and it was really hard. Um, but when I'm in that zone, I 
completely am in that zone and I can kind of like push all the tears like down. I do let myself cry for like tough situations that really strike a chord um, in my heart. Uh, but for the most part, I try and remain as strong as possible for that person um, and their families. Cause the moment that I crack, um, and my dad has always said this, that if you're overly emotional, um, then you're not going to be able to think for the family that can't even think right now. So, um, there's that, but that service really over, there were so many moments over and over again, where I was just like, this is what I need to be doing because, um, that little person looked so much like themselves. Um, and they just, they really did just look like a little porcelain, um, doll. And the fact that those parents were so incredibly happy, like, I mean, not happy, but like relieved, um, that their, their precious little one didn't look, you know, uh, atrocious and mm -hmm. just not themselves um it just made it easier for them I guess to say goodbye but really like you know it's not easy to say goodbye to to anyone um but just knowing that I could give them a better experience from when they left their little one um, at the scene, like, you know, when the policemen were there trying to give them CPR and stuff like that, um, just to give them a better experience is, is what always like hits me with the sack of bricks. Like, yes, you actually, what you're doing here is extremely important, uh, for people's grieving and you need to stay here and give that to everyone that you possibly can. So Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, that, that, that hit me a bit. Um, yeah, I know. I'm like, whoa, I'm a little <laughs> hot. <laughs> it's fine. That thank, God there's, thank God there's alcohol. Instead <laughs> of crying by the end of this. <laughs> well, let's bring a little bit of levity in, in, into this because you're not the only star of your TikTok channel, as I'm sure you've noticed. Uh, your dad's a bit of a star. Uh, was it hard to get him on camera? Um, he likes to act like like he doesn't want to, you know, answer questions and stuff. But he gets so giggly and funny. I actually posted a video today. You got to watch it after this because he was just. <laughs> was it about the embalming tables? It was about the embalming. <laughs> I checked that out a little while ago. <laughs> he was so ridiculous. I'm like, Dad, spit it out! You're in but he like we're the same in that way where it just like takes our brains like a second to buffer um and like we lose our train of thoughts like all the time um but no he is the cutest and I'm so happy that he likes to make videos with me um I'm always trying to get him more involved with the questions um but I don't do them too often because it's always like that where I'm like, oh my God, I have to edit this down to like a concise, like, you know, minute tops. And they always go for like five minutes, <laughs> but he, he's wonderful. And I'm, I'm really grateful to him because it, you know, he's the one who is letting me have a social media presence our funeral home having a social media presence. It's like not, it's not unheard of. I mean, like there's tons of people, tons of funeral homes and funeral directors in social media, but, um, but yeah, my dad is like really protective of his business. So I'm, I'm just stupefied. Like, and, and even like, like, next week we're going to decorate our house the funeral home for Halloween that has never happened ever because he always thought it was like too morbid um 
So I'm really, really excited to like string up some like orange and purple lights. I have pumpkins, I have luminaries, I have ghosts. I'm excited. So now I'm curious because I, uh, of course, I did not know that your father actually started the business because I've, 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 I've known some families in the funeral business before, and most of them go back generations and generations. At least the ones that yeah. are "quote unquote" mom and pop owned. Uh, do you know what was his impetus to get into this to begin with? He, um, his grandfather died, and that funeral service is kind of what sparked his interest in funeral directing. Uh, he says that he he was incredibly close to his um, his grandmother and grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, as a teenager, while everyone was like hanging out, doing the rock band stuff, like he was having um, like lunch with his grandparents and everything. So when his grandfather passed away, uh, he was at the funeral home. He was organizing the cars because um, back in the day, they really used to set up like, okay, this car goes first in the funeral procession, then this family member's car, then this one, then this one, then this one. So he just like set it all up and the funeral director was like, well, if you ever need a letter of recommendation for a mortuary school, um, I will write you one. So, oh, wow. yeah. So his grandfather's death is is what uh, sparked it. I am marginally aware of, shall we say, the tension that sometimes exists between mom and pop owned shops and more uh, industrial orientated uh, corporations. Yeah. Um, and to hear that he bought it from one of those is something I can't say that I've ever heard before. He didn't. Um, oh, sorry, so, did I get that wrong? Yeah. So I, well, I'm a little confusing at times, but um, it's so, almost like we're drinking. <laughs> it's almost like we're drinking. Um, it, it's a confuse. It's it's a lot. So he originally bought the funeral home from a man named Raymond Wardinsky in the late seventies, and they kind of were like as Raymond Bordinsky was phasing out, you know, dad was there. Uh, they were like, Raymond was still on board, like helping out a little bit and stuff like that. Um, but when he bought it from Raymond, like that was his funeral home. So he ran this funeral home for, for a, a while, a long time. And then SCI um, and national cremation, cause you know, cremation was, was like all the new rage. Um, it was recognized by the church now, like the Pope recognized it. So national cremation um, just had my dad, like had my dad running from um, Syracuse, New York, like all the way to Albany. Like that was his range of like calls and they were just working him like a dog. Um, so, so he bought the business, worked for it, himself for a while sold the business in the 90s uh to sci and national cremation because he really didn't think that any of his kids were going to get into it Mm -hmm. um and the idea of having like a set salary and stuff like and vacation time like wasn't didn't sound bad to him so he was like okay this sounds great and at first it was um but then they really were taking advantage of him and um God, it's just a whole story. Like you, <laughs> you should interview him, like just for this story. <laughs> it sounds it fascinating. Hour. <laughs> but um, so he bought it back. Um, eventually, I don't know exactly what year he bought it back, um, but I do know that he recently told me that, like you know, when I first started out like I think like last year he said um I this we are finally comfortable like we're in a comfortable state with the money making like wow. yeah because it just it just wrecked his calls for the longest time I think he went from like a hundred calls um when he was you know independent um to like 40 calls a year when uh, SCI took over. So 
And I'm sorry, can you just define for everybody what a call is? A call is a, a death call, a person. So he did like a hundred uh, services for a hundred dead people. And then, um, but then when he sold the business and SCI took over his call and like once people knew that it wasn't his anymore, his calls dropped to 40 a year. Wow. wow. 40 cases. So. Incredible. Yeah. But he got it back and we're stronger than ever. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All good now. All good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, I am a little bit curious, just going back to your education, uh, because it sounds like uh, while you grew up in a funeral home, uh, you were separate from the business. Um, as you say, you didn't know anything about funeral directing before, you know, almost before going into mortuary school. I was a kid. You're yeah. a kid. You're a kid. And I'm curious, can you tell me what was the most fascinating thing you learned? In mortuary school? Yes. Oh. Or after? Everything. <laughs> like literally everything. But um, the most fascinating thing by far that I ever learned was um, everything about the human body because in our gross anatomy class uh, we had the complete honor of working with anatomical gifts which are you know some people call cadavers um, we got to work with anatomical gifts and we worked from the top layer of skin um, and we cut through all the way to the bone so each week we would you know tear back like a layer um so I really got to see like um the epidermis your muscles your fascia like all the connective tissue and stuff like that uh veins arteries um blood clots uh I got to see where babies are held like where they're born um I got to see a smoker's lung um there, I just got to see so much and learn so much and that was the greatest gift that mortuary school ever gave me and um and yeah I'm, I'm just very grateful to know how our body operates complete just out of left field question here. So you go from one uh, type of education, which is in its own way is very physical, being dance, intensely, intensely yeah. physical. Did that inform mortuary school at all? It kind of did because I had to take kinesiology, um, which I'm is I'm sorry, like, in mortuary school or in dance? In dance. Um, okay. So we took a kinesiology class, like, you know, the science of... Um, like movement and where the movement is stemming from and all of that. So I was like a little bit, um, and I was a dancer. So I was aware of my body, but I honestly wish that dancers had a gross anatomy experience. Mm -hmm. um, I know not everyone would be able to stomach that, I guess, but it truly is like such an eye-opening experience. And, I, and the whole time I was just like, I would have understood my body so much better if I have, had had that class. Like we took anatomy mm -hmm. um, and physiology. I actually didn't take that because um, it was all booked up. But um, that was kind of like... It was supposed to be like the prerequisite for kinesiology, but I don't, I don't, you know, to be honest, I don't know why I didn't take that. Somehow I got out of that. Hmm. I don't know. So I just want <laughs> to circle back around uh, and just make sure that we, we, we got this sentence straight. You're saying yeah. that you're not sure that some people could stomach gross anatomy? I don't think so. Um, some people, some people can barely stomach funeral facts, like so, or that some people can't even like you know go into a funeral to even see their family member. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I can only assume that some people would be a little squeamish about, um, about gross anatomy, but I think it's one of the most beautiful, um, one of the most beautiful classes. Okay. You just gave the most elegant answer to something that I was hoping would just strike as a pun, not being able to stomach gross anatomy. No, no, sorry. <laughs> I apologize to everyone listening. Thank you. Didn't even, didn't even think of it. Yeah, That's because you're cooler than I am. Um, it's gross. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little bit gross, you know. Mm. You see their like intestines and stuff like that. And our teacher would be like, you have to be so careful. We do not want to puncture this. Um, yeah, it gross anatomy that was the best and if it wasn't for that i really don't think i would know anything that i'm doing <laughs> fantastic okay yeah so let's jump over to a second about just the conversations that people have about death because i sometimes find that the two things uh people don't talk about are money and death mm-hmm. uh what has been your experience with that and uh i'm curious if it changed from the conversations you had about death before you decided to move into funeral directorship or after? You, you meant money. So I'm sorry. No, no, not money. I'm not talking about money. I'm just saying the two things, money. We're not talking about, I'm talking about death, the conversations you have about death. Oh yeah. Um, wait, but can you like rephrase the question? (laughs) I will absolutely rephrase the question. Uh, Actually, I found a new direction for it that I'm going to try instead. It's almost like we've been drinking. Um, <laughs> yes. Because I feel like I try, if I try to have a talk with somebody that I'm close to about death, uh, the conversation in many cases gets shut down very quickly uh, mm-hmm. because people do not like talking about death. They don't like understanding or even discussing their own mortality. Uh, whereas you have to because now it's your job. Well, at the same right. time, you had at least physical and uh, I would imagine somewhat emotional, uh, you know, um, proximity to it growing up. I'm yeah. just curious if the conversations you have about death changed at all from. Oh, I mean, yeah, because I it, it, growing up in the funeral home, that was just so second nature that like I just didn't even. I didn't even talk, like, I didn't even talk about death. I just, like, lived it. I don't, I don't know. Um, I would just be like, hey, you want to, like, come downstairs? Like, let's go look at the casket room. And, like, I wasn't, like, having these philosophical conversations with, um, you know, my schoolmates and stuff like that. But definitely um, when I started going to mortuary school, um, I guess even, like, a little bit before, for that like as an adult um I guess I was acknowledging um the reality of death more um but definitely when I went to school like it just it hit me that nobody it just hit me that nobody talks about it um and why is that because they're scared and uh, of their own mortality because it's so and this goes back to spiraling um, while watching like Great British Bake Off, um, cause the moment I start thinking about death, sometimes it can be extremely overwhelming and you just spiral into a panic attack. So I think a lot of people just don't want to cause people distress. So you just don't really talk about it. Um, but I'm just dedicated to it now I don't even want to push it on anyone but I just want people to know that it's a reality that we're all going to face it's the one thing that we have in common um all of us and yeah I I mean like I I just want people to be able to talk about it so that they can um go into 
the viewing room to see their person to go and you know hug the family and say like i'm so sorry for your loss this person was a wonderful person and this is like the story that i remember most about them i don't want people to be afraid to talk to their to their community you know i want people to be able to respect the dead and um, respect the dead's family and be able to um it to send condolences you know there's so many people that like when they're in line um waiting to greet the family they're like you go first like i, I don't know what to say like you go first and uh, i just want that to be a like a little bit less i want people to feel more confident and just know that it's like awkward no matter what so yes, long story short, the conversations have changed <laughs> a lot. That's wonderful. That's what, uh, sincerely, that's wonderful. That's, um, that's some food for thought for me. Um, yeah. It's very interesting because, you know, I, I approach this and maybe it's also the season that's upon us right now. I, I was very curious about the, you know, the uh, interaction with death that obviously we all must have and uh, your professional position on it. Uh, but yeah. it's kind of funny because when I actually hear you talk, you're not actually talking about the dead. You're talking about the living. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so much of it is like funeral directing is only like this much working with the dead and like this much working with their family. It's not really, you know, you're, you're caring for the deceased and stuff, but it's so much more about pleasing um, the family just in every aspect um the if i people always ask me like if i'm ever afraid to work with the dead um and i'm like no i'm i'm absolutely not afraid to work with the dead but if i am it's because it's a hard case um and a heavy restoration that i need to do my best work at um to give the um family like closure you know um i don't want to just present them with in the words of lydia deets uh someone that looks like night of the living dead under there <laughs> oh so. my god you brought beetlejuice into it fantastic yeah. nice yeah. this is excellent excellent well done yeah. well listen um i wanted to uh to close up this has absolutely been and wonderful um i got two last questions for you actually two last questions for you you said something earlier before that and i'm curious about why do funeral homes stay off of social media i think well according to um one person who came at me saying that i need to keep it private um it's they think that they think that if you're like shining a light on funeral directing or you're giving away all the secrets that it's going to ruin the funeral service, which I just don't really get. Uh, I think they just want to be like the most respectful that you can be. And, um, but I don't think what I'm doing is disrespectful. It's literally just like, I'm giving you information that uh, the Bureau literally tells us um, we should be giving you, you know, um, most things like, I I'm think, sorry. They, I'm sorry, the bureau. Yeah. Like the funeral, uh, director's bureau and okay. like, the, yeah, like the big cheeses who can get you in trouble. Um, they just, people just think you should be like the most respectful. The bureau actually like people um in mortuary law and stuff like they they follow me and um when i went to the funeral directors association convention in august um the big cheese of like the law aspect of this stuff who can smack your funeral home with fines and everything like that oh, wow. um told me to keep up the good work so i said if he is cool with it then we're cool. <laughs> I can say what I need to say. Um, I'm literally just giving facts like out of my embalming textbook. Um, I, I research, you know, I fact check everything 
that I'm saying um, in the state of New York and stuff. Cause I mean, uh, rules are different um, nationally. Um, some of them are, but yeah, I just go off of like the state of New York and what I'm doing at our funeral home. Because there's a lot of stuff that you cover, but I also know that you're very strict about what you won't cover. Can you tell us what you won't put on a TikTok? I will never, ever in a million years show a dead person in any form, no cremated remains, um, none of that. I, I just, I will not do it. Um, it's out of respect for the dead. And, you know, people, people so badly like want me to show them how I like put makeup on a person. And I'm just like the amount of body shaming that is already going on with social media for the living. Like why on earth would I put a dead human body on the internet? Um, so they can get shamed. And so people can, um, you know, say I'm nuts. And then, so I can get blocked for eternity. Like I'd be shadow banned forever. But the, the main reason is just out of respect for the dead. Like they aren't, they aren't there to give me permission. Um, you know, maybe if it was, if they gave me permission, um, in a prearrangement or something, like it'd be a different story, but, um, yeah, I just, I, I mostly like my TikTok, everything I put on there and say, I go with my gut. Like if I don't feel right or my stomach starts to flip, um, about a certain question or something, I'll just, I won't answer it or, um, or yeah, I just won't answer it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to talk about um, was an experience I hear that you had uh, earlier this year during the COVID-19 pandemic uh, that kind of, uh, shall we say, opened the floodgates for you to free yourself uh, creatively yeah. while doing these TikToks. Could you share with everyone that story? Yeah. So, um, okay. So I had a huge YOLO moment. Um, this was, this was in like, this was December, um, December, 2020. Um, my good friend, TJ, uh, he was like 400 pounds. Uh, he had autism, um, and he passed away from COVID on Christmas day. And, um, oh. I actually, did not know that he passed away from COVID on Christmas day. My dad did not tell me, um, just because my sister and my sweet baby niece and my brother-in-law were all in town. Um, they came into town on like on Christmas day, um, to celebrate with us for a couple of days. So, um, TJ's mom actually told my dad, like, please don't tell her. I know like that she's been looking forward to seeing like her baby niece and stuff like that. So, um, dad didn't say anything until after my sister left, um, which was like three days later. Um, but just, oh my God, you know, like he, he was such a love and he always repeated like the same, like, you know, like 10 sentences to me. Um, but we had such a funny little relationship and deep understanding of each other. And, um, so he passed away on Christmas day and that just, uh, I was just so sad. And I just was like, you know what, like life is so uncertain, like YOLO. And that's, um, when I started, just started like thinking about dyeing my hair different colors. I said, why the heck not? Um, you only live once and, you know, I just want to live my life to the fullest and be like the best that I can be. And, um, and yeah, so 
that's that was my YOLO movement or moment <laughs> or movement, whatever. Um, but the the whole reason for even starting the TikTok was just to um, provide people peace of mind and closure. Um, there was a woman who told me um, that her friend had a baby, you know, that passed away or like a, a little kid that passed away um, like 20 years ago or something like that and had oh. been like wondering all these like sensory things about the funeral service. Like, what was that feeling that I felt underneath the clothes? Like, why was this like this? And um, so I answered some questions for her um, and the friend shared that with the grieving mother, you know, and um, I guess she just broke down and cried um, oh. because she was just so relieved to have some answers after like all these years. And that was another like hit you with a sack of bricks moment um, that made me realize like, this is why I'm here. Uh, this is why we're doing this. And, and funeral directors you know deserve a little bit of respect like we don't ask for much but like you know it's nice to be acknowledged sometimes especially during a pandemic like this because uh we were we were overworked and like you know I just I created the TikTok just to give um to clear up some misinformation about COVID and about funeral directing um, and everything that comes along with that. So it's, it's been really, it's been successful. Um, and I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked that, that people are just talking about their own experiences. If you look in the comment section um, on any of the TikToks, it's just people sharing like their experiences um, that are related to those questions that are being answered on the TikTok. So, um, do you feel like there's just been a lot of pressure behind that? That people have been eager to look for some place or some venue to talk about these experiences that otherwise they cannot. You can't just show up at the local town bar and just right. share how your last funeral went. Yeah, yeah. I think that people just, they don't, they suppress their own emotions for so long. And they, you know, like that 20, the woman whose baby has been, you know, dead for 20 years, like, I wish she would have asked her funeral director, like, those questions and stuff but I think people are afraid they don't want to feel weird they don't want to burden people with negative thoughts and and I think that's what uh was happening with funeral with funeral directors um for COVID you know like there was you know the the here the not even quotes like Put that away, Aileen. Jesus Christ. Not heroes. They are heroes, but um, we were totally nobody wanted to acknowledge that, you know, funeral directors were working through this too. That's right. So and and you know, New York City funeral directors, specifically like metropolitan area funeral directors were effing swamped oh yeah swamped like i can't even imagine so well if uh, it helps your imagination i can <clears throat> give you an illustration during the early days of covid um there was a parking lot i won't say where or behind what company it was full of freezer trucks oh, that were yeah. on all the time because there's just no place trucks for are real what's that the freezer trucks are real mm-hmm Mm -hmm. because it's also just like where the heck do you store those people you know um hundreds and hundreds of people it's just like a someone's funeral home is not gonna cut it like a morgue is not gonna cut it um so I think it's kind of cool that they um 
they were thinking on their feet and just like created their own space. Like what else were you going to do? Just crazy. Just craziness. Absolute madness. Absolute madness. Absolute madness. But. Okay. But going back to it, uh, live life to the fullest. You only live once. You heard it here uh, from Eileen Hollis, uh, a funeral director. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) Thanks, Eileen. Please check the show notes for links to the Hollis Funeral Homes website and TikTok. Make sure to check out drinkingwithcreatives.com where you can support us by contributing to our Patreon. And don't forget to subscribe and download on your preferred platform. I hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you next time.